Hello and welcome to Architecture Insights, the podcast series produced by the New South Wales Architects Registration Board. I'm your host, Di Snape. The episode you're going to hear today is one of two, um, which focus on the work of the board in the field of education, particularly education in primary schools. I uh, spoke with a couple of people who have been involved in um, the programs that we have developed and deliver in partnership with the Department of Education. In this episode, you'll hear an interview that I did with Imogene Tudor, architect at Sam Crawford Architects, as well as previous Byra Hadley recipient. For avid listeners of Architecture Insights, you might have heard Imogene's voice before talking about her Byra Hadley travelling scholarship. I will also be speaking with Annette Maurer, who is an educator who's been involved in helping us to develop the communication strategies around speaking to primary school students and, critically, their teachers. So through these programs, the board is working to promote a better understanding of architectural issues in the community by connecting the public and students with information about architecture, design and the world around us in partnership with practising architects. So basically we help to prepare teaching aids and resources for schools, we sponsor and support exhibitions and events and award scholarships through these programs which you will hear about in these two episodes. I also had a chat with Registrar Tim Horton about the education programs which the board is involved in. Tim Horton, here we are again in the Purple Podcast booth. Hi. Hi, Di. We're here to talk about building the future, transforming the local and space-wise. What are they, Tim? So they are three teaching resources that the board has put together over the last few years by working with educators, and you'll find all of them on the Department of Education's website. If you're a teacher and you're looking for how you deliver a design and technology course or you take kids in stage four or five, as they call it, through a visual arts or visual design um, course, then you need some teaching resources to help you do that. And so what the board's done over a number of years is to develop the resources that teachers can reach out for and deliver in their classroom. So I think the board really started this some years ago, and it was um, my predecessor, Kate Doyle, who comes from a teaching background, who realised that part of delivering the board's objective of um, promoting a better understanding of architecture was not just in the clients who engage or commission architects today, but also in shaping the minds of those who can appreciate that um, the world can be shaped around them. And so that can include kids. So what tools and techniques, what methods do we use for that to happen? Isn't that all science? Isn't that all about climate and landscape? What's it got to do with design? So these modules take teachers and kids through how you observe, how you document and record, how you build a case for change. We introduce them to Pecha Kutcher as a technique, which is effectively looking at a rapid ideation approach, if you like, but gives it a bit of a format to do so. And through that, to pose questions to the kids around what needs to change and why and what to. You just mentioned Pecha Kutcher mm. as, a, as a part of their architectural moulding at a tender age. Mm. What is it? Why have a 
why have a petakuta? Why have a presentation yeah. night? So part of it is um, not being too precious about the kids putting together their poster, uh, as it as it were. So as a series of images that are also time constrained. And so for those who don't know Pechacucha, it can be, say, 10 slides at 10 seconds each or 20 at 20 seconds. And really it's walking them through something that they don't have to be particularly precious about. It's not really the actual thing. It's not the artefact. It's the point that they're making. In the middle of all this, in the middle of the board doing some work on this, the updating these modules and helping teachers to deliver, my 11-year-old comes home, Lucy, and says, Dad, I need your help to build a case for change. Now, this is words, these are words that we use in building the future. Well, it turns out that my daughter's year six teacher is using building the future. So suddenly I turned from being registrar of the board to being dad. And I went and gave a presentation to Lucy's class and Lucy and the, the other year six combined on um, how you make a case for change. And it was fascinating to be put into the hot seat and need to show effect, effectively Pecha Kucha style um, how an architect might do that. Because I think that that's really interesting, all of the different languages that these sorts of programs can develop. I mean, you talked about um, kids getting involved in drawing and mm. I'm guessing they probably get a bit of model making in, do they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. make a couple of mm -hmm. cardboard houses. Yep. Um, and to be able to stand up and talk about your case for change or your idea mm. is such um, such a great thing to have to practice, mm -hmm. you know, at a, as a citizen mm. who might one day need to call upon all of those skills to, yep. you know. Lobby council or bring neighbours together or anything like that. Mm. Footpaths are up for grabs. What can you do with footpaths and why would you do it? So you walk into a year six classroom with, year, with you know, kids that are aged 11 and 12 and they're thinking about the fact that trees then cool the footpath and that's what they like because their own experience close to the ground walking home after school is about hot footpaths that seem to make no sense because adults have gone in with an asset management approach and concreted the whole thing. So actually they're a lot more clever than we think and the tools they pick up very quickly. So this is all focused on you know an individual's experience close to the footpath as you said. What have we found through these programs about kids' capacity to think about everybody else in their community? Mm. So this is, I think, where teachers come into their own. And so one of the challenges often, how does an architect manage a class of, say, 28 to 32 kids who are between the ages of, you know, anywhere from, say, 10 to 14? And it's not easy. So you need these techniques that teachers have. When do you bring them together on the mat? When do you ask them to go away into groups and do some thinking? And this is part of how they build those skills of working in teams. And it's what we see in architecture school in some ways as well. So firstly, I think I've been really impressed in hearing how teachers actually approach this funny word we call pedagogy, how it is that they do the stuff that they do. They've been really interested in how architects work and they see a really neat match between the two. And what's in the middle are the kids who actually are enormously adept at picking up both individual work and in some ways making a commitment and a position statement for themselves and also working in groups on the big issues. And they are not shying away from issues of climate change and they can directly apply 
climate change to the world around them and how they can improve their environment. So they're able to work from concept through to concrete pretty easily in a group or individuals. Who knew that actually kids can do this stuff really, really well? So do they need architecture to do that? <laughs> so again, you place an architect in a room without too much training and we find that they often default into a careers talk. Hello kids, I'm an architect, you should be too. This is what I do, you might one day want to do it as well. So part of the training, the, the, the teaching resources, is also um, uh, taking us away from the temptation to necessarily do just a careers talk, which is really about being an architect and that's great. And it's more about learning architecture and it's learning about what goes into making making that. I guess um, you could say that this is really about trying to broaden the field or democratise the knowledge that goes into shaping the city around us and to do that from you know an age that is I guess beginning to question the world around them and why things are the way they are and asking if they can play a role in changing some of that. What does the board get from this? What does architecture get from an exercise like this? Hmm. Well I think architecture gets if you like, a way of schooling itself again in first principles. So there is nothing more humbling, there is nothing more essential than having to um, explain what it is that you do and what interests you about what you do than explaining it to a group of 28, 11-year-olds. It's how you, in some ways, strip away the jargon Secondly, how you point to things that are readily explainable and not lost in sophistry that comes from a few centuries of um, domain-specific knowledge. Um, so I think what architects and architecture gets is a way of sharing what it does more broadly at a really simple level that helps us distill what it is that we do so that we understand what we do again outside of, if you like, ourselves and the profession and the academy. And I think what um, the board gets is also a way of reaching out to a public audience for the same reasons, that are away from the jargon. This is really important when architects talk to architects at national conferences, etc. It's important that they have a language that we can rely on so that we can move the conversation forward. We have a, a lexicon for a reason. We all get that lexicon. We know how to shorthand these things. Now let's move forward. Not everything needs to be distilled down to something simple and, if you like, publicly accessible, but there's a place for it. And this is our way of experimenting with that at a most basic and essential level. After all, every child has a parent generally, and so it's the conversations that happen in the home thereafter. It's really interesting. I've seen on Instagram, I've been tagged in posts from kids who have gone home and started to develop a brief with their parents and it's been posted, and it's fantastic to see. There's a genuine interest in this at the idea of shaping the world around them. It starts with concepts, it starts with words, it, it moves into drawings, hands start to build things, minds start to tick over, and stuff starts to happen. So you talked about architects going into the classroom mm. somewhat unprepared, um, which sounds a little bit mean, but um, <laughs> I'm sure that it's well-intentioned. In terms of how architects are involved in these programs, Tim, can you talk mm. us through what that mm. uh, what that looks like? One of the reasons, I guess, we are interested in doing 
this work around teaching resources is that we get ad hoc requests from teachers who may ring or email and ask for some help. A year 12 student who wants to do some model making as part of their final course or in one more recent case that Imogene really helped us with was a teacher from uh, a school in Stanmore who got in touch wanting to deliver one of the teaching resources that we developed. And I guess we were looking at how we make it easy for teachers to actually deliver. One thing is producing the resource. Secondly, can we help them actually in the classroom? So we reached out to Imogene Tudor, who has, I think, a long interest in how architects do reach out from beyond their own profession. We're about to hear from Imogene Tudor. And, Stay tuned. And Imogene is just fantastic. And... Um, was was really happy to work with uh, the teacher and the school over this extraordinary period of time, over a number of weeks where she kept coming back and spending hours um, at a time, sometime in lunch hour, sometimes outside it, and working with the teacher and the kids to actually deliver and sculpt the teaching resource around how the kids were learning and progressing. This was invaluable field research for us. It was, it was teaching us that there are things that we might need to help architects with before we drop them into those environments. Now, Imogene's a pretty extraordinary personality and in some ways doesn't need much help. But at the same time, I guess her feedback was, how would we operationalise this? How can we scale this up? So that it's no longer ad hoc requests from teachers with us reaching out to architects we know, but how can we sort of provide some system or framework around it? And that's what we hope to do in the very near future. We haven't talked in detail about what these programs consist of, what mm. the materials are, but you said people can find them on the mm. Department of Education website? They can find them on the Department of Education website, um, but it's also, you can go to the board's website, architects.nsw.gov.au. I'll put the link on the, on yeah. the SoundCloud page for both of those, should anyone listening want to... Um, get hold of those. There's a page just on education resources and so what you can do is there's a summary and you can click through which will give you either a PDF or a link straight through to the Department of Education's website. I'll be speaking with Annette Mauer as well. Tim, can you talk about her role in mm. terms of these programs? So Annette has been the person and her um, business partner, Melissa um, Park, who um, has connected us between, if you like, the design thinking, design tools, design techniques and teaching and pedagogy. So it turns out that the delivering a curriculum is a complex thing, that there are learning outcomes that need to be addressed, that there are um, different curricula that have um, different imperatives. Design and technology is different to um, visual art, for example. So which one are we trying to deliver against and what are those requirements? What are those learning outcomes? That's the stuff the teachers need to deliver on. It's their KPIs and it's the expectation. So we need to map. It's not as simple, it's not enough for us to walk in and say we know it all. We need to then, there's a dovetail exercise between um, the tools and techniques and methods of architecture and the learning outcomes within certain courses and curricula. Um, uh, Melissa and Annette have been helping us by connecting us with the educationalists. We had, uh, we've got had meetings where you've got department specialists, you've got curriculum writers, you've got um, teachers, and what that's giving us is a way of mapping design and architecture into the learning environment. What is it that they need to address that we can if we knew? And what's the future projection for these projects? 
what's coming up next for these programs? So the first thing we want to focus on is how we deliver better. We realise that the resource is not enough. What we need to do is hold, if you like, the teacher's hand. So we like the idea of what we're calling the built environment flying squad. So these are, if you like, more young architects like Imogene, who we can call up, who have some um, uh, adroitness in being able to respond. They know what they're getting into and they can help the teacher hit the ground at a run. Now that's the first bit. The second bit is by using that as our, if you like, field research, we can then go back and improve these resources, which were done a few years ago. And what's interesting now is that question around how delivery in the classroom has changed. Yes, around devices and iPads and things like that. What can be done at home, after hours, more as homework. Those are the things that I guess we can improve on in the resources 2.0. We need the field research to just shore up some of our thinking on that. The curriculum's changing. Design and technology as a course is being rewritten as we speak. So there are some things we'd like to wait and see on before we then do that piece of work to dovetail a 2.0 into the new teaching and learning environment. So Imogene, you were working with Year 5 and 6 students, is that right? Yes, that right. that's right, at St Michael's School in Stanmore. It was, I believe, five sessions, and we did that over maybe seven weeks. Right. There were some weeks where we did it every week, and then a couple of times there were some exercises that we... I started off with and then the teacher followed through with the intervening weeks. So, so what, was the, what was it that you were sort of over these five sessions, what were you talking about and what was the material you were using? So we were using the Building the Futures framework, which is a resource provided by the board, um, which sets out a series of exercise that leads kids through to look at their immediate area. And so we use the area around the school to look at spaces they liked, spaces they didn't like, um, and then speculate new potentials for those spaces. Um, it culminated in a Petra style presentation that each of the kids prepared. As an architect practising it with Sam Crawford, as we just said, what brought you into doing something like this? Well, I've had an interest over a few years um, looking at how we talk about architecture and how we talk about architecture with different audiences. So in 2012, I was awarded a Bayera Hadley Travelling Scholarship, which was focused on this issue about how we disseminate architectural ideas and how we talk about the profession to people outside the profession. I completed the research over 2013, 2014, and then ever since have been... um, have maintained that interest through some involvement with UTS in their advocacy stream, um, some writing for various publications. And I haven't ever specifically looked at kids or or primary schools in that settings. Um, But when this opportunity arose, I thought it would be a really great way to test some of the the research that I'd been doing over this period in a completely new format. and I think it was very attractive to have these conversations with kids because there's no way to bluff your way in a professional context there. The kids will They're call you out. Up, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was um, 
was really interesting going into the classroom. I went in pretty unprepared. I had had one session with the teacher, Miss Fitz, from um, St Michael's School. So it fitted in in the geography science area and she had worked with the outline of the design, uh, building the future module and tailored that for their specific curriculum learning outcomes. And then she said, oh, yep, so the year five and six students and come along, I'll see you Tuesday. And um, So how did you find that, having to fit in your your very articulate, you know, <laughs> knowledge of architecture and the way that it works in space? How did you find that, fitting it in for, you know, geography class with year five and six? Well, look, I have no idea what a year five or six student looks like. I don't, I don't know how big they are, what they know, where they're up to. Um, so I showed up on the first day, which was the introduction day, let's talk about architecture. It's almost like a careers day, like meet an architect. And I just grabbed a big box of stuff from the office and I took a hard hat and a high-vis vest that says Sam Crawford Architects across the back (laughs) and a big roll of drawings and some models. And I basically just winged it. (laughs) (laughs) What, What else can you do? I don't know. And so, and I went in there and I said, okay, so who knows what an architect does? One of the kids puts up their hand and says, oh, well, um, they're designers who um, draw and plan places and spaces in the built environment. I went, oh, well, okay. I was going to stretch that out over about half an hour. I'm done. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, so I, I don't know if that was, well, I'm, I'm sure it was good preparation from the teacher. Right. But also these students are extremely knowledgeable are clear and articulate and are worldly. And I think that one of the reflections on if I were to do it again would be to actually pitch the conversation a little bit higher than where I started. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about drawings and about how you abstract space into drawings, which the kids were extremely quick to adapt to and they really responded to the models Mm -hmm. as well, which makes sense. And then I kind of got halfway through that first lesson and ran out of things to talk about. It's one thing to be able to articulate what an architect does. It's a very different thing to be able to evaluate the qualities of a space, Mm. whether it works or not. Were they equally as adept in that respect? Yes. The next class that we did after that one, so the first one was an introduction, the second class was a neighbourhood walk. They were really interested to talk about what things looked like. So if you're standing on the street and you're talking about architecture and buildings, they want to talk about, I like this house, I like that house, I like the garden, I like this, I don't like that, I find that ugly, I find this beautiful. It's a little bit hard to kind of talk about some bigger issues. But then at the end of that walk, we did a drawing exercise. So we sat in the park across the road from the school and they were just asked to draw what they saw so for starters everyone was great at drawing and they were really easygoing and really intuitive and were I think (laughs) would make a lot of architecture students envious just at how perceptive they were about drawing space just it was an observational drawing and that is where some of the ideas of quality of space could come through and it was by getting them to put it on paper, that opened up a whole lot of different discussions. So you say, okay, so why why have you drawn this palm tree but 
not that park bench. Oh, well, because the palm tree is so big and it, it, it's the thing that you see most. And that's, that's when I drive down the street on the way to school, I always look out from the palm tree. Okay, so although these two objects are in the space, one actually has some hierarchy and some significance and that starts to talk about the place and identity and recognition and then you can have a really interesting discussion instead of I like it, I don't like it, it's yeah. pretty, it's ugly kind of thing. And so did you get to a point where they were beginning to understand the judgments that they were making? Like, was that part of the discussion? Yeah. They also had to do an exercise which the teacher facilitated, which was to draw... It was a mapping exercise of their immediate neighbourhood. So to draw their house in the street, and it was basically an annotated map. And I think those two exercises, so the observational sketching in the park and then also the mapping exercise allowed kids to start to do things like saying, oh, well, this is my house and this is my best friend's house and then this is a dog park and I like to take my dog for a walk and go past my best friend's house, but this is a really busy street and there really should be a crossing here because I find it really hard to walk my dog across the street. So it was all very referential to their own Mm. life experience, Mm. which we all do. But then being able to link that discussion with the observational discussions in the park were mm. really interesting. And the the kind of final exercise was this Pechacucha presentation, which was looking at the park that they had drawn and then imagining a new future for it. And that's where those two ideas kind of came together. And some of them used a different space, not that park. And um, because they latched onto this idea of like, actually, no, I really want to fix this thing about this space. And there were some really insightful things like, I like going to this park with my nan, but she can't ever get down the stairs. It's really hard for her. So I've put in a slide for my nan to get from the car down to the park or, or whatever it is. This is building the future right there. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it built across the weeks. Did you notice a shift in their perceive or to articulate over that time like did you did you notice just across five sessions a real building of ability yes to be honest I don't think much of that had to do with what I was doing I kind of parachuted in parachuted out the the teacher was so I was there once a week or once every two weeks Mm -hmm. and then the teacher was having I think three sessions a week on this topic so I would introduce something like we're going to sketch in the park and then over the next few sessions the the teacher would um then build on those concepts in terms of how their skills and how they articulated the the exercises developed it was really interesting to see that different kids responded to different um formats of thinking so some of the kids elaborated their their hand-drawn maps mm-hmm. and that became a really that that it kind of pe- the penny dropped at that point and that's what unlocked all these ideas um, some of the students, the drawing, there were other students who really kind of didn't see the point for quite a lot of it as well. And we're going through the motions, but, but weren't so interested. And then as we, I think it all kind of came together with the Pech Kucha, um, presentation that, um, they were asked to use whatever tools that they wanted to, um, each of the kids at St. Michael's has an iPad and we looked at, there was a, um, like a paint um, program on their iPad. So they could either take a photo and draw over it in, with the iPad, or they could take a photograph of their drawing 
and draw over it with the iPad um, and illustrate and build ideas. Um, a lot of the kids also use Minecraft. It's essentially a really basic block building tool, but you can build spaces and environments. Okay. Um, so there were some kids who built the park across the road from the school in Minecraft. They built it with the palm tree, with the seat, with the slide, with everything like that. And then once they had built the space in a 3D way and they could walk through it, then they did the design exercise in Minecraft. Wow. Yeah. And then the final part of presenting their Pachacucha was to put, put it all together in like a slide format. And we had a, an outline for them about how to introduce mm. the, the project. And that, I think, gathered the different students who were at different points or responded to different things. It allowed all of that information to be synthesised so that it doesn't matter whether you really liked the hand drawing or whether you liked the more digital or the 3D modelling point. You could till, still tell a story mm. and present it and to articulate that in that, in that format. So, yeah, that was really, really interesting. And, really did, yeah. And so you said at the beginning that you were speaking with the teacher about where this um, little module kind of fits in with the existing curriculum mm. in subjects like geography and what was the other subject? I think science. Science. So when you when you came to Pechacucha, were had the students kind of been directed to um, make those connections? Mm, not overtly. Okay. Right. Um. And I believe that there was a body of work after the Pech Kucha that right. may have done more to okay. stitch those things together. Okay. But it wasn't... You were talking about having met subsequently with a group of teachers mm. um, and reflected on the experience. What, did that, what were their thoughts about its effectiveness or um, its ability to engage students in talking about architecture? I think the consensus was certainly that architecture has a versatility that it can be used as a vehicle to talk about lots of different subject matters in a really practical and tangible observable way so you can talk about things like environmental systems so you can talk about capturing rainwater off the roof and it's something you can go out in the world and look at and see how it works and then use that as a way to talk about how the suburbs work and where does the water come from and what do you do with the water and why is that important and or you can talk about it from a um, more stylistic perspective for example so where we were in Stanmore there was a lot of brick federation cottages so you could talk about that from a historic perspective so why do all these buildings kind of look the same? What's the cultural significance of that? How does that tie into a bigger story about Australia's narrative and our colonial history and our immigration stories? Um, or you can look at it from a abstract and or, or a more visual arts perspective about how, how you draw things. So I'd brought along a tape measure and a scale rule and some grid paper and got them to measure a park bench. And it was, and some of the students loved that exercise of having to um, translate and measure and do all those very, very precise me- measurements and and that kind of thing. So you can talk about it in a um, in that way. So yeah, we're talking about the potential of bringing architecture into classrooms in a really agile way mm. um, that can be used to talk about a whole lot of 
different things yeah. and in a complex way as well. Mm-hmm. It's not reducing it down to saying, okay, well, here's a Federation style house, here's a, you know, 20th century modern style house. You know, that, that that's what I remember about architecture education when I was in high school. You, that would be the boring bit of the art textbook. What do you think is the most valuable um, aspect of this project, both for the students um, and for you know, you were talking about earlier the discourse of architecture. How do how do we talk about this thing, mm. both internally to the to the profession and externally to the public, to our kids, mums and dads, yeah. future clients? <laughs> you know, to the kids. And one of the things that the the teacher mentioned a number of times is um, how well the kids respond to having professionals non-teaching professionals (laughs) from different disciplines in the classroom and how that engages them with different ideas and just gives them some variety in their in their week um and i think there's a really big potential for the students to get really excited about that technological um aspect of it so whether it's 3d modeling or whether it's a digital presentation they're so fluent in that naturally I think that's something that the kids can get from it. And then hopefully a little bit of insight just into the fact that the world is a designed space and that they have agency in that um, as kids, but also as they grow up and as they become citizens of, of the world and professionals themselves. So that's on their side. On my side, or from an architect's perspective, I think it's a really good challenge to have to present your work and to present your practice and your field of knowledge to a diverse audience and a challenging audience and an audience that will call your bluff and will get bored and start playing with something if you don't keep them engaged. And be way smarter than you expected. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And then the other really, really nice thing for me as well was to engage with um, the local community around Mm. my workplace. So... Um, our office is in Newtown. The school's just up the road. I never knew St Michael's existed. It's a um, it's a small school and small student base, and it was lovely just to see the families and the kids that are in that area, um, and to connect. We our practice does a lot of work in the inner west as well, so I really felt like it was all part of a bit of community building around that space and. Um, I've spoken to other architects who haven't done exactly this thing, but I think it's not uncommon for architects who are parents of primary school age kids to be pulled into the classroom um, just to kind of talk about what they do. And that's a way of participating in the community, your school community, your local community, but also in the architectural community. So it's a nice way of kind of bringing all those things together. And I think it's a really interesting point. Um, I think the dignity and the importance that you give a person, no matter what age they are, mm. by allowing them to express a, a value, it can be really significant. And I don't think that it happens particularly often with children mm. in the built environment. I mean, I know that there are a number of different programs around that try to support it, but it seems to be, in, in my experience anyway limited as that is that it's um you know they're really particular programs and they get rolled out in a quite specific way 
often amongst children who are, you know, fairly privileged and you know, easy to deal with maybe. Mm. Um, but I think there's something quite um, – there's a huge opportunity in that um, which goes to, I guess, your Byra um, research about how we talk about architecture and how we promote a better conversation. With – absolutely, and with the ultimate aim of making better cities – Yes. Rather than perpetuating the profession just because we want to design buildings. I think maybe it's unsurprising to anybody that has kids, but it, it did strike me as really surprising that when we started doing these design exercises and these mapping exercises, the kids' like primary field of concern was all of the um, natural spaces, all of the social spaces, all of the interstitial spaces of the city. It was all about walking their dog, meeting their friends at the park. After church on a Sunday, they like to go to this place because they've got the best swings and this kind of thing. And it just made me really reflect that as architects, when we think about the built environment, we can sometimes think it's about designing buildings. But there's also this whole part, which is about designing cities and places to inhabit that bring joy and excitement and arouse a curiosity in the individual and the kids didn't really have much to say about buildings because they were the things that got in the way of <clears throat> of, of the good stuff which is about you know the yeah. great backyard or the great place to walk your dog or mm. yeah these really exciting things yeah I think you're right the um aspect of agency and you know demanding to be heard on that subject and being able to express the things that are important to you and I think also for us as architects to be able to listen properly mm. to really engage with what people want to have in their places absolutely and the as as a practicing architect you spend a lot of time talking about money and architecture and money become really intertwined about budget about limitations about what you can afford what you can't afford but that's not you know, it's essential to delivering buildings, but that's not architecture. So all of the discussions that I had with the students were not about, well, you know, that's like awful Sydney trope about talking about property prices or about all this kind of stuff. It was about the quality of space. It was talking about the value of the built environment, which was a qualitative statement rather than a financial economic statement, which was actually really lovely and refreshing. I mean, we can't get away from the fact that there's a cost that's associated and you've got to count it in numbers, but at the same time, to be able to put it next to um, a really solid foundation of being able to talk about those qualitative values, mm. I think is you know, um, absolutely important. If you were to encourage anybody else to be involved in something similar, whether it be a school or a practice of architects, what would you say was the best thing came from that maybe it's to have your own curiosity aroused again um to have a different kind of conversation about architecture with different audiences which will ultimately lead to different insights and um, a slightly different perspective and it, and it was really pleasurable it was really enjoyable to see these kids responding to different ideas and to different techniques and to it makes it fun. Like, yeah, measuring a park bench can be really fun <laughs> because you, I don't know, it's a bit of a silly thing to do and sometimes we're a little bit too earnest about how we engage in practice. Um, so, yeah, 
I think it's just about um, taking a bit of a sideways step and just enjoying things from a different perspective. I think that sounds great. Thank you very much, Imogene Tudor, for Thanks, coming Di. and talking My to pleasure. us. That was architect Imogene Tudor. Thank you very much for listening to Architecture Insights. I'm your host, Di Snape. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, you can download them on SoundCloud, where we also post, where we also post podcasts um, by other people about subjects which we find interesting and you might too so please go and check it out Uh, thank you very much again for listening Mm